Well, hey guys, my name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge, and uh, we're just so happy that you're with us this weekend. We're continuing in this series, The Anatomy of a Dream. And in this series, what we've been doing is kind of following along the life of David. And uh, I, I love this story about David because he struggles with all of the things that we struggle with. And it's such a human story. And we've been kind of following these four phases of a dream. And I told you early on in the series that I, I probably could have used a, a dozen different Bible characters. In fact, almost every single major Bible character follows a very similar pattern in their life of discovering God's dream for their life, God's passion for their life. Uh, but we've used David, and we've been kind of walking through this. We started in week one at the very beginning where he's just a shepherd. And a guy by the name of Samuel shows up and says, hey, David, you're going to be the next king. And that was phase one, right? That was becoming aware of the dream. And everybody thought it was kind of strange because David was the least of these. He's the youngest. He's a nobody. There's tons of other people that were probably more gifted and more qualified. And we talked about this idea that, you know what? Like, God is into the unexpected. And you're qualified. Whatever he's called you to, you're qualified for it. And that was kind of phase one. And then time goes on, right? And he's doing his thing as a shepherd. And then one day he follows the instructions of his dad and he goes to visit his brothers. And he ends up there in the middle of this, this war between the Israelites and the Philistines. And there's this giant named Goliath who issues this challenge. And David steps up and he fights Goliath and he kills Goliath. And now he's in phase two, right? Which was encountering opposition. And we talked about how David actually needed Goliath. He needed that opposition. And we said, the bigger your dream, you know, the bigger the giant. And on your path to your dreams, your goals, your wishes, your desires, you're going to fight some giants along the way. You're going to face some opposition. And then David goes from like a nobody shepherd boy to all of a sudden he's a national hero and everything changes for him, right? And now all of a sudden, he remembers the words of Samuel saying, you're going to be the next king. And now all of a sudden, you know, I I don't think he probably put a whole lot of weight into that dream until now. And now he's thinking, this might be possible. Like, I actually might be the king. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm in the palace. And King Saul asked him to marry his daughter. So he's like, I'm the son-in-law of the king. And now he starts to think, you know, he gets his hopes up that maybe the dream's going to happen. But if you remember, we talked last week that all of a sudden things start to change. And Saul gets extremely jealous of him. And now he enters into that third phase, that enduring difficulties. Because Saul tries to kill him. And David's in that spot, and maybe you've been there before, where he feels like the dream is slipping away. He feels like it's not going to happen. He feels like God isn't with him. And so he panics. And he tries to manipulate and control things that he shouldn't manipulate and control. And in the pursuit of his God-given dream, he actually abandons his God-given values. And David gets to a point, this is kind of where we ended last week, he gets to this point where he sees um, how devastating his actions were. He sees how he made a bad situation even worse. He sees through his lack of trust. And David came to a very important conclusion. At the end of last week, he just simply says, my way isn't working. It's not working. And that's where we get to phase four today, which is learn surrender. And this is a phase for most of us that um, we don't voluntarily walk into this phase. For the most part, this phase is usually kind of forced upon us by life. Something happens, um, there's an event or there's a crisis, 
something happens that confronts your primary addiction in life. And for most of us, our primary addiction is to our own power. For most of us, our primary addiction is to our own control. It's to our own plans. For my AA friends out there, you know this is step three, right? It's the radical surrender of my will to God's will. And that is where David is. And we all have these dreams, right? We all have these wishes. We have these hopes. We have these desires. Um, I often kind of think about it like creating this picture for your life. You, you have all these hopes, dreams, desires, wishes, and they kind of start to create this picture that you have the way you want your life to look. And we all have this picture, right? It's a picture of how you think your future is going to look. And then we live with this nagging tension, or maybe it's even a fear that something in that picture is gonna disappear. Or maybe that we'll never even find what it is that we want to be in that picture. Or maybe if we have it, what happens if we lose it? And again, it's all a part of this art of learning surrender. So I'm gonna show you this kind of last chapter of David's life that we're gonna look at. It's in 2 Samuel it's chapter 15. And honestly, it's a really sad chapter in David's life, but what we see is a tremendous amount of spiritual growth. We see decades of David learning what it means to truly trust God with everything. So 2 Samuel chapter 15, uh, David has a son by the name of Absalom. And uh, when we talk about David having a lot of the same struggles that we have, David being just so human, one of the places that he makes a lot of mistakes was in his parenting. And if you've ever been a parent, you know there are no perfect parents out there. But David made some big mistakes in this area. So he has a son by the name of Absalom. They're strange. They haven't spoken in years. And um, David's been hearing some rumors about his son Absalom. And kind of behind David's back, Absalom has been gaining popularity. The people of, of Israel really like Absalom. And he's been interacting with them. And he's been listening to them. He's been kind of gaining their trust and all of a sudden, David starts to hear these rumors that Absalom is going to overthrow him and that he's going to take rule of the kingdom. So you have to understand that what's threatened here is actually more than one dream. There's two dreams, right? I'm sure as a father, David has a dream of being reunited with his son. He probably wants that more than anything, right? But it's not happening. So that dream's being threatened. And then you have his lifelong dream, right, of remaining king of Israel. That's being threatened in this moment. So there's a lot going on. You get to 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. It says this. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Just this one simple statement, this one simple message, but it's a very painful moment because up to this moment, up to this time, David could hold out hope that maybe one day, one day he'd be reconciled with his son, right? He could hold on to that moment that somehow, in some way, they were going to be reconciled. But in this moment, all of a sudden, whatever his dreams are, reconcil reconciling with Absalom, it becomes clear it's not going to happen. In this one moment, he's told, listen, David, your own son has declared war on you. Your own son is going to go to war with you, and he's going to take your kingdom away. Now, do you remember the moment in your life where it became really clear that some of your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your wishes were at least going to be severely threatened, if not lost altogether? This is that moment that you were served divorce papers. 
This is that moment that um, you got the phone call that your son or daughter had been arrested and they're addicted to drugs. This is the moment that your dream guy tells you that he just wants to be friends. This is the moment that your boss looks at you and says, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna have to let you go. This is when you get the call from the bank. This is when you sit down with a doctor and they tell you there's nothing else we can do. Do you remember the moment that you felt like everything you hoped for and wished for and planned for and desired was suddenly at risk? That's this moment for David. David sits there and he gets the word that nobody would ever wanna get. Your son is going to war with you and he's gonna take away your kingdom. Now the question is, how does David respond to that? We've seen in the past how David responds when the dreams threaten, right? Last week we talked about it. He begins to control and manipulate and he lies and he does all kinds of things that create massive chaos. Lives are lost because of his manipulation. How is he gonna respond in this moment? And to everybody's surprise, he responds much different than you would imagine. Second Samuel 15, this is verse 25. It says, then the king said, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. You hear that? Let him, talking about God there, let God do to me whatever seems good to God. It's a profound statement in David's life when you think about everything that is at risk in this moment. David essentially is saying, hey, just because my will is not gonna be done doesn't mean that God's will is not gonna be done. I'm not gonna try to control and manipulate what I can't control and manipulate. I've done that in the past and it was a disaster. And no, th this is not the script that I would have wrote for my life, but I'm gonna trust God. And if I have to abandon the dream, I'll abandon the dream, but I won't abandon my God. And things don't look good right now, but my God's done the impossible in the past and maybe he'll do it again. You know what, you know what David has learned here? Essentially what David has learned is that he doesn't control outcomes. And, and that's a hard lesson for all of us because again, our primary addiction is usually to our own power. It's to our own control. It's to our own plans. And so the tr temptation for me and probably the temptation for a lot of you right now Right, is you want to control the outcome, right? You want to control the outcome in your parenting. You want to control the outcome in your marriage. You want to control the outcome with your finances. You want to control the outcome of this pandemic. You want to control the, the outcome of the different things in your life. It's a natural temptation for most of us, right? We, we get so obsessed with controlling the future. Now, some of you are going to push back right now, and you're saying, Peter, are you telling me that I can't? I I shouldn't think about the future. I shouldn't think about, you know, my plans to get married or I shouldn't think about my finances or I shouldn't think about my parenting or where I'd like to see my kids go. No, no, no. I'm not saying you shouldn't think about the future. Our anxiety actually doesn't come from thinking about the future. Our anxiety comes from wanting to control it. And there's a big difference between thinking and planning for the future and trying to control it. And that is... The, the difference that David has learned in his life. He can think about the future. He can have dreams and hopes and wishes and desires for his future, but he's holding them loosely. He's surrendering them. He understands 
that he has to surrender his will to God's will. So then we get to chapter 16. Absalom does exactly what he said he would do. He moves in. He takes control over all of Jerusalem. He takes over the city. He takes over the throne. He takes possession of every single thing that his father, David, had possession of. But that wasn't enough for him. He's so angry. He's so bitter towards his father for some unresolved conflict that they have that he listens to some really bad advice from some people close to him. And even though David peacefully has walked out of the palace, even though David has peacefully left Jerusalem, he decides he's going to go after his dad. And so Absalom gathers his army, and they go after David, and they meet David in battle. And that's a mistake, because David is a great warrior. He's an unbelievable strategic mind, and he has to defend himself and his army. David warns his own officers, whatever you do, please don't kill Absalom. But in the battle, Absalom is killed. And um, it breaks David's heart, right? Even in the midst of his surrender, one of his dreams doesn't happen. But David still gets to that place where he says, not my dream, right? Not my will, but God, your dream and your will for my life. It's a powerful moment. It's a powerful story because we can all identify with it. We all have this picture of the way we want our life to turn out. And the question is, can you surrender that picture? Can you trust God with that picture? Let me, let me ask you a question. Where right now in your life are you afraid that God's not going to come through? Right now in your life, where are you just afraid that God is not going to come through, that he's not going to show up, right? What is it that, that you have so much attachment to that you literally think in your mind, this is the only way that I'm going to be happy and whole. This is the only way that I'll be peaceful and content. Again, it is good to have dreams and wishes and hopes and plans for your future, but ultimately you have to get to that place where you're willing to surrender it all and trust God. This is how spiritual growth happens in our life. Spiritual growth is always on some level about letting go. I think when people often think about the spiritual life, they think about addition. Oh, I gotta add this and add this and add this, but actually the spiritual life is a lot more about subtraction than it is addition. And guess what? That kind of subtraction, that kind of surrender, that kind of trust is scary because you live with a lot of what-ifs and you live with a lot of unknowns. But I'm telling you, friends, you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked at what God can do through a person and with a person who's willing to surrender their picture to the future. And I know it's easy for me to say all this you know, it sounds like sermon talk, right? And I'm using a story that even though we can identify with it, for some of you, you're like, yeah, well, that's David, and he's used by God, and he's one of a kind. I, I, I want to make this principle as real as we possibly can. And so I really want to introduce you to a friend of Northridge. This is Stacy. She's been a part of the Northridge family for a long time. And I want you to just see uh, her life, see her story and see how this principle of learning surrender is impacting her life today. So let's watch this. I've never been one of those people that, because you're a Christian, life's gonna be perfect. Even in 
proclaiming and believing in the promises of God, it does not take me out of the equation of bad things happening. I have been at this church since I was about five years old. I'm on the worship team. Been doing that since youth group age. I met my husband at this church, and this was a big year for us. We've been married 25 years. My son will be 13, and I have a big birthday coming up. So we were supposed to be going on a trip, but um, our year has changed, <laughs> obviously. My faith, I've always felt like you have to have deep, deep roots not just head knowledge. And so um, even when I was diagnosed with MS back in 2011, trusting God with that and trusting God with a baby. I had a baby, you know, and going, okay, this, how are we gonna manage that? If you're not in the word and you're not storing it up, when you're faced with that storm, you're gonna be blindsided. One of the verses, it's in Hebrews, you know, and it's a phrase that I've, I have said since the diagnosis of MS, it's hold fast. I actually met somebody who was in the Navy and he's like, I love your bracelet. He goes, you know the meaning of it. And he said, hold fast in Navy terms. Was you gotta hold on, embrace yourself because something's about to come and you're gonna get bruised and you might get hurt. You're gonna get, the waters are gonna be rough, but you're gonna come out of it because you have trained for it. You're not just gonna say it anymore. You're gonna walk it out. The storm began to hit in September and I started having um, some biopsies from September through Thanksgiving. And so my doctor, he's like, I'm gonna send you to a, an oncologist to just kind of sort out things and just kind of make sure that we're good. I wasn't worried at all, you know, at all. And the oncologist, he read over my paperwork and he's like, well, I'll do this, I'll do a surgery, you know, a cone biopsy, you know, March 12th. In an abundance of caution, I am ordering the closure of all K-12 school buildings in Michigan. So that first week of kids are home, I'm, I'm still recovering from the surgery. People were going, oh my gosh, we're gonna be locked down and we can't get to each other. And that Friday night, I got a phone call saying you have to come in tomorrow on a Saturday. And I was like, well, can I, can I do it on Monday or Tuesday? And they said, no. They said, but you cannot have anybody come with you because of COVID. So that began the journey of doing everything alone. So the next morning I drove out, just praying through everything and waiting in the, in the lobby. And one of my favorite uh, pastors, uh, speakers, besides Pastor Powell, um, is Dr. David Jeremiah. He used to speak at our church back in the day. And uh, I had got this notification on my phone, I got a new devotional. It said, Dr. David Jeremiah, hold fast. Okay, so I, I'm looking at it, you know, I'm the only one in this, in the, in the lobby and the nurse is there and it's like, okay, all these little things that are just my words, my phrasing, right? So it's, God was grabbing my attention and I kept reading and it said that Dr. Jeremiah had lymphoma and I felt the Lord say, and that's what you have. Now this is where the kindness of God is so good to me and I know that that sounds goofy but he, everyone who knows me knows the emotion that I have because I cry for everything God protected this doctor truly and so he came in and he goes Mrs. Hoover you have lymphoma 
two forms, aggressive. And I looked at him, I said, okay. And he goes, Mrs. Hoover. <laughs> he was like thinking I was in shock and I was like, no, God prepared my heart. And he goes, I have, there's five of you today that I'm giving bad news to. And I said, can I pray with you? He's like, what? And I said, can I pray with you? And he got up and that's when I started to tear up and he hugs me. He goes, why, why, why on earth would you say that? And I said, who would want your job? <laughs> I was like, nobody, nobody would want that. So when I left and I saw the other four doors closed and I just stood outside those doors and I cried for them because that day changed for five families. All of us were gonna go and embark on this thing by ourselves during the pandemic. And because I am a hugger, I think that is the hardest thing with all of it. You can't get to anybody to physically love on them. And, and I needed the hug of my mom and dad, you know. My hardest was telling my son because the reality was as a parent, you want to protect them from all harm, right? You're just going to be like, oh, there was nothing I could do to protect him from this. So I just prayed for God to just draw him close and, I, and any scars that he might have from this, that his faith would be deeper because as much as I love him, God loves him more. God loves him more than I ever could. But because of COVID, I was able to have uninterrupted time with my husband and my son. All that time, we were, I mean, we probably even got sick of each other. So when I was able to have to start being out, going on these little treks out to the cancer center, it became a reprieve because we almost got to see each other too much. So God was good in that too, right? <laughs> and so all along in this journey, it's just given me the opportunity to meet new people and to love on them. When you're going through something, you have to get yourself out of the way. You feel bad and you're sick and you're like, oh, you have, you're thinking about yourself. You have to start looking at others and thinking of others because that's what God wants us to do, to bring joy and to share the love of Christ. And so when I walked through the center and there were these patients that were already in the throes of chemo that now couldn't have people with them. And they were crying and begging for their relatives to be with them. And God allows me to just see these glimpses to be able to pray harder for these people. And you know, I had a reaction the first time and so I know all the staff and they all know me. And so that's just more people for me to love on. <laughs> there are moments I can't, because I'm just too fatigued to even concentrate. I can't have a conversation, I can't talk. Um, I can barely pray, but I know that he's there. I trust that he is there. God's word promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. In our humanness, we might feel alone. We might feel like we are by ourselves. That is when God is the closest to you. I, I'd be a mess right now without the fact that I was in love with Jesus and I was gonna trust him with all I had. I am clinging to him because he is my hope. I hold fast to the confession of our faith, of our hope, that he who promised is faithful, his way is better than mine, even though I think that my way is better. You know? This was not a surprise to him, and 
our family is built on a solid foundation, we will get through this no matter how it looks because he's with us and that's the best, that's the best thing. He is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. That's a promise right there. Lift your voice and say, He always guides he me. He always guides me. Yes, you do, Jesus. Through mountains and valleys.
sing this right here. Your spirit lives. Your spirit lives within. So I will. So I will walk in your. Thank you, Jesus. Your spirit lives within. My victory. My victory. Sing it. Your spirit lives within. I will. So I will walk in your. Your spirit. I want to get to a place in my life where I can honestly say from the depth of my heart that if God doesn't give me one more thing, I still owe him everything. But I don't know that I'm there. It's so, so convicting to listen to Stacy's story, to hear her attitude, to see the peace and the joy that she has in the midst of all this. And I know one thing, you don't have a chance at having that kind of peace and that kind of joy in the midst of that kind of storm if Jesus is not the captain of your boat. Because he's not only the captain of the boat, right? He controls the storm around you. And um, 
I don't know where you are right now watching this. Maybe it's years down the road and you just stumble on this on the internet. Hear me, it's not by chance. You're listening to this, you're watching the story for a reason. Jesus loves you and he cares deeply about you. And the most important thing that you could do in this moment, the most important thing that you could surrender is to surrender your life to his. You can trust him. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's that simple act of confession, of surrender, that begins our relationship with him. And I wanna invite you to do that right now, wherever you might be. Would you just close your eyes? Just bow your head with me and just say this simple prayer in your heart. Would you just say, dear God, I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of contentment. Even when the world around me is falling apart. And in this moment, I want to give my life to you. I'm going to trust you with my eternity. I'm going to confess right now that you are Lord. I'm going to surrender my will to your will. I'm going to go your way, not my way. And I pray that right now your peace that surpasses all understanding would flood my heart and my mind. And the Bible teaches that simple prayer. That's where it all begins. For many of us right now that are praying together, we've already prayed that simple prayer, that simple confession. Um, But this act of surrender is something we have to continually do in our lives. And so I just pray right now for every person that needs to surrender some aspect of their life that they are attached to, that they think they have to have in order to have peace and contentment. And it might be their health, and it might be their kids, it might be finances, it might be a job, it might be the dream to get married. I have not a clue what it is that all of us might feel like we're attached to or we have to have in order to have that peace. But right now, God, we surrender it to you. We trust you. We trust you with the picture of our lives because you are a good God. You are a good God. Father God, be with us in this moment. Lead us and guide us as we continue to worship together. For it's in your name we pray.